Well, welcome everybody to Rice Church. So glad that you're with us today. My name is Aaron. I'm the senior pastor on behalf of my wife, Erica, and all of our staff and pastors are so glad that you're with us, especially if you're here with us for the very first time. Hey, if you're a guest with us, I always invite our guests to come back at least three times. Everybody say three times. And here's why, as I know when you go to a new place, you don't always get the best experience on the first experience. So my hope was be that you would come back and we could be your spiritual family. If you're watching online, we'd love to like, I'd love for you to like, comment, share, leave a review, uh, be interactive on the chat. Believe it or not, it helps us kind of get through some of those social media algorithms so that we can actually uh, get the message of Jesus out. Today, we are uh, wrapping up our series called Christmas Songs. And over the last few weeks, we've been talking about different songs that we hear uh, at Christmas time, whether it's a hymn or whether it's a, uh, you know, just a, maybe a, a, a traditional Christmas song and pulling out some biblical principles from that. In week one, we talked about Silent Night and how ultimately most of us look for peace and the best peace that you and I can find this year is found in Jesus. Uh, the second uh, week, last week we talked about uh, really was the first Noel. It's the idea that Jesus is king. And I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm okay with Jesus being uh, a sweet little eight pound, nine ounce baby Jesus. Uh, I'm okay with Jesus being my homeboy, my friend, my savior, my, my confidant, but it's harder for me to love Jesus and to appreciate Jesus as the king because I like to be king in my own life. And so last week we talked about how do you make Jesus your king. This week we're going to look at a unique song called Emmanuel. We kind of we sang it uh, in service uh, today, and um, it's an interesting song. The, the title of the song is Emmanuel, or Como Come Emmanuel. But the, the whole point of Emmanuel was, was God with us. We're going to look at that verse today uh, inside of Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to be in the Matthew. Um, it's a, in the New Testament, and the New Testament starts with what we call the Gospels or the life of Jesus. And so our goal today is to really look at what does it mean for God to be with us. So Matthew chapter 1 is where we're going to be today. And we're going to be in verse 18, and we're going to read it uh, together. And so it starts off, this is how... The birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant throughout uh, all the Holy Spirit. But Joseph, her husband, was faithful to uh, the law and yet did not want to expose her to the public disgrace, and he had, mind, had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Verse 21, she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. In verse 22, it says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. And I like this kind of wrap up to the, to the end. He says, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him, there's our word today, Emmanuel. Everybody say that with me. Say, Emmanuel. And call him Emmanuel, God with us. And with that as our backdrop, let's pray. Father, I just thank you, Lord. I'm so honored to be a part of your kingdom, of your, your word, Lord. I'm just grateful that we could be in a place where we can have fun and enjoy God, learn about your word, hear what you really have for us, and that ultimately at the end of the day, God, we can serve you. We pray that today would be a, just a, a blessing to you in Jesus' name. And everybody sat? Amen. Um, one of my favorite things to do as a father is to coach my kids in sports. Um, I love baseball and football. I like to put them in all kinds of things. But my favorite sport is baseball because I know most about it because I, I grew up with it. I learned how to play it. I went to camps. Uh, I got coached through it. I, I, I played it as long as I possibly could. And so one of the things I love to do is teach my kids about baseball. And baseball, if you know anything about baseball, baseball, like most sports, is about angles. It's about positions. It's about um, connections. It's about making sure you know, right, where you're in the what they call the right and proper position. 
if you're out of position in football, if you're out of position in baseball, it ruins your experience. So my son Judah, who's seven years old, he's learning kind of this concept of baseball. And at seven, you move from this idea that, you know, it's kind of coach pitch. You start to move to machine pitch, which means the machine shoots it at you. And then you start to teach the kids where to be on the field. And that's important because where you are on the field determines a lot about your defense. In fact, even now in major league, you see what they call shifting or overshifting, which is really moving the positions of the players on the field to match statistically where the batter most likely will hit the ball. Does that make sense? So if the batter, if I'm in the right position and the ball is hit to me, I have a better opportunity for getting an out and making sure I can win that game. So I told my son, I said, Judah, I need you to pay attention. My son's one of those kids who, um, he's an amazing little boy, but he's got so much energy. He doesn't pay attention every time I talk to him. Anybody have a kid like that? And so he's sitting there and I'm like, all right, son, I want you to stand on this position because when you're at second base, because at second base where he was at, where the kids hit right now, they're late to hit the ball. So the ball comes off the bat late and always tends to come right to him. I said, if you're right here at this position, you're going to catch the ball, throw it. It'll be great. You'll win the game. He said, Dad, no problem. So we, the game starts, and I'm, stand, I'm, I'm not allowed to be in the, coach, the, the dugout because the coaches kicked me out. And so I'm like in the side <laughs> on the fence, and I'm like, son, pay attention. you got to be in the right position. Everybody say position. position. It's important. I said, you got to be in the right position because when you're in the right position, you're going to catch the ball, and you'll be able to make the out. So my son's standing. I, I even did I make an X in the ground. I'm like, just stand on the X. It's easy. I made a circle. X marks the spot. If you stand on the X, I'll give you a donut, cookies, candy, whatever you want. Stay right here. He says, okay, Dad. Game starts. He starts right there. The first pitch goes by. The kid misses it by the first pitch. Second pitch goes by. My son starts to move a little bit. And I'm like, what are you doing? Don't move. He goes, I'm not moving. I'm like, the X is right there. He moves back to the X. The batter's going through the, the line, and he's moving. He starts to stand around now. He's dancing and spinning around. And I'm the dad on the sideline going, pay attention. You know, I'm the dude screaming. Go, and all the people are staring at me like, isn't this like a little kid game? I'm like, yeah, it's a little league game, but this matters because if he wins in this, then he's going to win in life. Everything's a big deal, right? Everything's I'm learning a lesson. And so I'm like, come on. And so one of the people from like, you know, our church is like, aren't you a pastor at church? I'm like, yeah, I'm a pastor, but today I'm a stinking parent. I want to win. And so I'm like, come on, you know, and I'm like yelling at the, I'm like, umpire, come on, call that an out. That was an out. I'm screaming at him. But my son is off on the outfield while I'm screaming at other people on the field trying to get there. He's in the grass now. He's not in second base. And the ball was hit right to where I told him to stand. Ball goes by, not kidding. Ball gets out into the outfield and the kids run around the thing. He runs up to me. He says, Dad, I don't know what I did wrong. I said, you were, I'll tell you exactly what you did wrong. I'm really good at this. I can point out everything. Do, anybody parents really good at pointing out the kids? I know exactly what went wrong. You didn't stand on the position and your position affects how you experience this game. In life, especially in Christianity, hear me now, because I'm going to... I'm going to kick some sacred cows today. I'm going I'm to bother you a little bit. Today's a day of introspection. Normally when I preach, and that's why you got to come back a few times because you got to see different ways that I preach. Normally when I preach, I give you a, a nice, concise, it's a, it's a, I tie it up in a bow. I give you three points. I give you something to think of, do, right? And something to walk out of here. Today's about thinking. Everybody say thinking. Because I want you to consider your position to God. I want you to consider for a moment how you grew up. I want you to consider for a moment what you were taught. I want you to consider for a moment what it was like 
when you first heard about the Lord and your relationship with him? I want you to consider your position and your life as it is to God. Because if we're out of position with God, it will affect how we experience him. I want to give you maybe four, um, I'm going to take you to Bible college if I can a little bit. I'm going to give you four generalized ideas or I would say positions or, 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 or even postures towards God in our life that you see kind of, as I see most of the time as a pastor with people, that I think are not inherently wrong, but they're incomplete. First one I would say is there is a life, what they call life under God. People who live as a life under God are people who believe that um, God um, is, is you, you are now trying to control God by following all of his rituals and rules. Now, this is an easy take when it comes to religion because most of you come from a denomination or religious background that taught you inherently that God is best when he's happy. And when God is happiest is when you do the rules the best. And when you do the rules the best and you follow all the rituals the best, the happiest he is, and therefore your life will now be uh, protected. It's valuing God's rules and rituals over God himself is the mistake here. Is that we try to control God through our obedience and we're living under divine rules or divine rituals in order to avoid bad things. We believe God is a formulaic God, believe it or not, that if I obey, good things happen. He protects me. He provides for me. He gives me good things. If we disobey, he doesn't protect me. He doesn't take care of me. He doesn't give me good things. And because you see God as a formulaic God, he is a God of cause and effect. I grew up like this. In fact, I still think like this a little bit if I'm honest. I kind of think if bad things happen to me, I must have made God mad. Anybody else think like that kind of just naturally in their spirit other than me? Anybody else? One, two, three, four. Okay, cool. We all kind of see life and God a little bit. We see life as cause and effect. I mean, if good things happen to good people, then bad things happen to bad people. And when bad things seem to happen to good people, that messes me up. Because God, you're supposed to be cause and effect. Now, this idea is not new. This idea has been around since, you know, Moses. But I'll give you an idea during Jesus' time. John chapter 9, Jesus has this moment with his disciples. The disciples, some of the disciples thought like me. They lived a little life under God type. He's, John chapter 9, it says, as he went along, he saw a, man, uh, uh, saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples go, look, what do they think they do? What, what do they go? They say, this dude did something wrong. Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents? I mean, life is cause and effect. If something bad has happened to him, then he must be wrong. He must be bad himself. And Jesus even corrects it. He says, nothing. No, you guys are wrong. Not, not neither, neither this man nor his parents sinned. This happened so the works of God might be displayed to him. He said, it wasn't about him following his rules or not following his rules. It's about something bigger. Now, all throughout time, you'll see this through most people. Um, maybe in the ancient world or in tribals, tribalistic society, you would see it as if you need 
the rain to come so that your crops are produced. You want to appease God, so you do a sacrifice or you do a ritual, yes? You've all heard about that. And so what you do is you do something in order to appease the gods. You throw the lady into the volcano. You start cutting yourself. You start dancing and making chants. You do things in order to appease God because God's mad. And when I make him happy, he protects me. And you would think, well, that sounds ridiculous. That sounds silly. Yet you and I do the same thing in different ways. Maybe your business needs to succeed. And so you come to church now not because you love God, but because you need your business to succeed. And so in order to make God happy, you sacrifice and you want your business to grow. And so because you want your business to grow, you, you sacrifice and you do all the Christian things and you live a life under God and you, you do that kind of thing on a regular basis. You want your kids to be safe, so you read them the Bible and you make sure that they know God. And you, want, and you don't do it not because you believe in it. You do it because you're trying to utilize God as a divine ADT life monitoring system. That's really what we're doing. You've now positioned yourself as life under God. Even in 1 Kings, you see this. Chapter 18, Elijah's confronting the prophets of Baal, and the prophets had this idea as well. There's a whole society, 400 and some odd prophets, who worship this false god Baal, and they thought, if I just dance enough or scream enough, and they started cutting themselves enough to bleed enough, God will be happy enough with me and therefore give me what I desire. Posture towards God. The only problem with that is it results in a heavier life separated from God. And here's why it's heavy. You have to do everything right to appease the God who's angry. Second posture, because that's maybe not some of you. Second posture is it's not a life under God, but you have a life over God. See, this is funny because here you don't um, value God as well. You, you value his principles and his wisdom. And you have now removed God from your life, not because you don't love him, but you, maybe you even love him or, or believe in him, but you, you don't really have a relationship with him, but you love his rules and you love his wisdom. And this is where you try to control your world based on wisdom and principles. And so you remove God out of your life because you don't really need a God. In fact, you don't need a king because you are king. And so you live life in a way that makes God um, uh, uh, kind of absent out of your life. If you're a non-Christian, you maybe fall into this trap of enlightenment. <clears throat> and now because you don't really need God or prayer, you just need what he taught you about life and all the scientific principles that you believe in. And so you could go down the list and use science and principles and laws and, and formulas, and you use all of these things to remove God. And what you're doing is you're still trying to control your world, but you don't really even need a God. You just need his principles. You just need his ideas and his thoughts. You need his wisdom. And you would think that would be a non-Christian problem. But what's funny is, is I think the more dangerous one is the Christian version of this, which they would even call Christian deism, which is you believe and love everything about the Bible, except you really don't love the God of the Bible. And you're like, how does this happen? How does this work? Well, if you find yourself following the rules so well and never having a relationship with the one who invented the rules you might get caught up in that idea. And so really you live your life because life is afraid and life is scary and you do things wrong. And 
and you find yourself reading the Bible to find out all the ways to figure out this thing called life. I went to college, went to university, and what I realized about university, um, at least the one that I went to, was that you didn't really have to learn anything. You just needed to learn the system. Most schools are kind of built around this idea that you have a system in every class and a system in every flow. And if you can just figure out the system, I went to school for four years and realized I didn't need to learn a whole lot. I just needed to figure out how to get a good grade. I didn't really need to learn about the subject and actually understand the subject. I just needed to figure out how to win and get the grade on the test right. And sometimes that intersected, but oftentimes it didn't. And some of y'all who went to school, y'all shaking your head, y'all understand exactly what I'm talking about. And so the idea is then you love the, the, the ideas and not the one who gave you the ideas. Jesus dealt with this a lot. John chapter 5, he says this incredible statement. He says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. This is important for us as Christians because I love this word. I love the Bible. It's alive, it's active, it's powerful, it's amazing. God is doing something through this thing. We are a Bible-believing, faith-filled, spirit-filled church that comes from, it comes from Scripture. The Bible is powerful. This thing is, is God's Word. It's His life breathed into us. We believe in it. We love it. The, but but you got to remember, it's about Jesus. And some of us elevate the teachings above the teacher. You want life to be about the teachings when the teachings were supposed to point. Even Jesus says all of the Torah was pointing to the coming Messiah who was Jesus. It's about Jesus. And he says, these are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me and have life. So this is an idea in even this church world that if you would just love the Bible enough, it will save you. The Bible is not what saves you. Jesus is what saves you. The Bible points you to the Savior that saves you. And so we can find ourselves, um, I even see this in some church worlds. You'll talk to pastors and we'll say things like, we don't really need to pray right now. We need to figure out the systems of growth so that our church can grow. You're, you're missing it. We got to pray. It's, this, this whole thing is about Jesus being a part of it. So we're doing a 21 days of prayer coming up at the beginning of the year. We do it every year. Why do we do that? There's no systematic growth in theology on 21 days of prayer. There's no like, oh, if we pray, then, you know, systematically people will start coming into the church. No, we pray so that we can invite God into our lives and increase our spiritual potential, and we get Jesus around. It's about Je the point of prayer is not prayer. The point of prayer is connection. Do you see the difference? Yeah. And some of us come to God, and we go into life, and, and you have now controlled your life through God's principles. You don't really need God. Third one, or oh, the result of that. Let me just give you the result. It, again, results in a heavier life separated from God. And here's why it's heavy. Because when you remove God from your life, it's now all on you to make things happen. And I don't know about you, but um, I'm not that good. It would seem the more life is in my hands, the more things I screw up. Anybody else like, 
All right. Third one, third, third posture. So you have a life under God, you have a life over God, then you have a life, some people have a life from God. This is where people who value the blessings more than the blesser. So now you've, you've moved into a situation where your posture towards God is all about the things that you can get from him. Where now you have lived in a consumeristic society so long that you go to everywhere in the world for what you can consume, and you have brought that now into the church. So when you walk into the doors, you don't come into the church in a way that you can be a blessing to the church, where you can serve and be a part and be a part of something bigger than yourself and get consumerism off you. You bring it in here, and you look to God for what he can give you. And we try to control life through the constant blessings that he brings. You look at God as a divine butler or a cosmic vending machine. If I push this button on God, he's going to eventually give me this. God exists to meet my needs. He exists for me. And um, we could do it in silly ways. Hey, we've all prayed for that parking spot in the front of the mall. And some theologies take it to the nth degree where we start preaching what they call prosperity gospels, where you believe that God is only designed to serve and meet your every need and make sure that you live in opulence for your entire life. I find it interesting that the moment I said yes to God, my bank account didn't make me a millionaire. And you would think that some theologies that we teach as pastors would make you believe that, that God's desire is to consistently give you blessing. It's like you're trying to keep God on your side by constantly making your life from him. There's a story inside of scripture, inside of Luke chapter 15, where Jesus tells a story. And that you guys probably, if you grew up in church, you know it. It's called the prodigal son. It's a terrible title for it. It actually should be called the prodigal sons. But the, the son we all hear about and remember, if you remember the story correctly, is that Jesus tells a story about a man who had two sons. This man was rich. And the younger son comes up to the man and asks his father for all of his what? All of his life? No. All of his hanging out time? No. Asking for his name? No, he already had that. He walks up to his dad and he says, Dad, I'd like all your stuff. He says, if you just give me your stuff, I'll be on my way. And the dad in his infinite grace and mercy seems to not get what we get as we're hearing the story. Don't give it to that kid. Are you crazy? And his dad is so gracious. He gives it to the child. The child takes it off, squanders it, wastes it, winds up becoming a, a pig pen farmer, literally scraping out muck buckets, realizes and comes to his senses and come back, comes back to his dad. And you see his dad do what we all consider to be complete, terrible parenting and forgive him completely and open his arms up and completely runs towards him. That's the summary of the prodigal son. But what we don't realize is in the, that story, the younger brother is living a life from God is that he looked at his father as not his dad. He looked at his father as his Santa. He looked at his father as a means to an end. What could I get from him? What can I take from him? My dad exists to meet my needs. And when he doesn't meet my needs, I'm out. 
And the life that is a result from this is, well, you guessed it, it's a heavier life, more separated from God. It's heavy because studies show that consumerism in every aspect leaves us mentally anxious, depressed, and isolated. The last one, you have a life under God, a life over God. I told you I'm going to make you think today. You have a life from God. Now you have a life for God. Here's what's interesting about a life for God. Life for God is the most celebrated in all Christian circles. You might hear about this preached about most, is that you should live your life for God. Why live for yourself when you can live for God? It's trying to control your life by controlling your future. And you see life so much as, um, as a way to ensure heaven. So you don't serve God because you love him. You serve God to protect yourself. It's a form of fire insurance is what I call those types of people. You serve God to keep yourself out of hell. You serve God because you realize, man, if I don't give up everything and sacrifice everything, if I don't die for God, how on earth am I going to make it to this place called, called heaven? It reminds me of uh, this running back a few years ago named Marshawn Lynch. He, wrote, he, he played for the Seattle Seahawks, and he hated press conferences, but he had to go. He, they made him go because it was in his contract. And I don't know if you remember his most famous statement every time he, uh, 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 a reporter would ask him a question, and his reporter would ask him, Marshawn! How'd you feel out there today? He said, I'm just here so I won't get fined. <laughs> Marshawn, what, you, you ran to the right when you should have ran to the left. You got tackled. You're supposed to make a touchdown on that. What do you think about that play? I'm, I'm just here because I won't, so I won't get fined. Marshawn, how's your day going today? I'm just here so I won't get fined. And some of us live a life with God a little bit like that. Like, God, I don't really love you, but I'm going to serve you, and I'm going to do things for you, and I'm going to be on mission for you so that I won't get fined. And you've elevated the, the mission above God himself. Maybe that's you in here. Maybe you've been guilted into serving at the church. You felt pull on the church. Like, Oh, I got to serve here because if I don't, man, I mean, I don't want to go to that place called hell. I heard it's hot. It's a long time. I don't, like, I don't even like the heat. I'm just this terrible. Just turn the heat down. At least give me some insurance. If they, I don't even know if I believe in a God. don't even know if I care. But I might as well serve him because if I'm not, if I'm wrong, I mean, I, you know, at least I got that as my backup plan. And you see this in the prodigal son as well. You see this with the older brother? The older brother was, he was you, you remember, he was always there, and he was serving, and he was working, and he was hanging out and doing all the right things, and you find out later that he was doing it for all the wrong reasons. To get a future, this is so funny, to get a future, he's serving God to get a future he already had. He said this in Luke 15. He said, my son, his dad responds to him laughing, I would say. You've always been here with me. Everything I have is yours. You're already assured heaven. Yeah. Don't serve me because you are trying to gain something from me or something for yourself. And the result of a life for God, unfortunately, is a heavier life, more separated from him. Heavy in the sense that it's an endless pursuit of a life of meaning 
and perfection in the name of God. We do it in the name of God. I'm serving you, God. And you've all met some of those people where they love the mission of God more than they love the God of the mission. So what's the posture? I guess that's the question. I mean, none of those are inherently wrong. Are the blessings of God wrong? No. Should you serve God? Yes. Do we, do we, do we follow some of the rules and rituals that he does? Sure. Do you have wisdom to know how to do things from God? Yes. But I told you those aren't wrong. They're all semi-incomplete, and here's why they're incomplete. They've all elevated the created above the creator. They made the wrong thing. They made a good thing, a God thing, and now it's the wrong thing. An attempt to mitigate the fear of our world. So what's the right way to live? What position does God want from our life? Well, you've guessed it. It's found in the song, Emmanuel. It's not life from God, life for God, life under God, life over God. The, the, the way I, if you look at from the beginning of Scripture to the end of time, you'll see it's always about a life with God. It's a life with Him. I'll show it to you in Old Testament. You show, in the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 3, context. Adam and Eve have now sinned. Sin has now entered into the world of the garden, which was beautiful and amazing and God had blessed them. They had everything that they needed, everything that they wanted, and yet they rebelled against God. And Noah didn't start with a woman. Oh, let's say, you know, everybody's, well, if the woman wouldn't have brought the apple, well, if the man led well. <laughs> You're welcome, ladies. Um, <laughs> and so sin enters the garden. You would think, this is the time where God gets to get them. Now they're separated. Now they're sin. Now he's tired of them. Now he's mad. You had everything, Adam and Eve. Come on. You missed it. You're done. That's what I do. That's what you do. Somebody crosses us. You're cut off. Genesis chapter 3, this is after the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God. What was he doing? Oh, he's walking in the garden with them in the cool of the day. Where was he at? Was he in heaven? Was he on a trip? Was he gone? No, he's in the garden with them. Funny how we treat God like, a, um, like an angry principal with a big yardstick. Seems more like a loving father who just wants to be around his kids. God's just trying to be with you. New Testament, I'll give it to you. Revelation chapter 21, he says, And I heard a loud, loud voice. This is, jo uh, the, this is John, the revelator, getting, man, getting something from God about the end of the time. He says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now what? This is the end of time. Jesus has come back. He's reigning. He's ruling. God is good. Heaven is happening. Life is great. No more sin. No more death. No more pain. No more fear. No more anxiety. No more depression. No more hopelessness. God's with us. And here's what happens. Now God goes to his throne, and we go out and do what we're supposed to do, and now we're, we're good, right? Nope. It says, look, God's dwelling place is now what? Among the people. And he will dwell, there's our word, with them. And they will be his people, and God himself will, oh, there it is again, just in case you missed it, he will be what? With them. 
and they will be there, and he will be their God. God's goal from the beginning was to be with you. God's goal from the beginning was to be with you. He doesn't want anything from you. He doesn't want anything for you. He doesn't want anything around you. He doesn't want you to live a life under him, a life over him. He doesn't want you to live a life from him, away from him, around him. He wants to be with you. The whole goal of Jesus coming 2,000 years ago was so that it would be God with us. The whole story of the Bible from beginning to end is the story of a God trying to be with those he created. And that should give you and I hope. Is that if John 1.1 says in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was, was with God, that God is a triune unit. He, he, is, he is in unity together and in relationship with each other. And then he creates man in his own image. Why does he do that? So that you and I can be in relationship with him. Right. So if you're stuck in a life, and I'm done. If you're stuck in a life, under God, thinking you need to follow all the rules and rituals in order to be in relationship with him. He's already with you. You're stuck in a life over God where you feel like you don't really need him, but you just need his ideas and his thoughts. and his, 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 Look, all of his wisdom comes from being around him, so he's already with you. You're stuck in a life being, being from God where all you see him is, is a divine butler just to give you everything that you want. You need to realize God does want to bless you, but he doesn't want to bless you independent from him. Let us not be so much about the created and not about the creator. If you're stuck in a life for God where you feel like I got to do all these things and be on mission for God. Look, if you elevate the mission over the person who gave it to you, you've missed the point. It's all been about a life with God. And here's the result is you find when you live with God, you have a lighter life, more connected to him. And all four postures that I told you about is religion is at the core. Religious people find God useful. Real Christians find God beautiful. And I guess maybe today my hope was to make you think, how do you posture to yourself towards God? How do you think about him? Where's your heart in all of it? What's your position with God? Even at the end of Matthew 28, Jesus says, this funny statement as he's leaving this earth. He says, and I will be with you even till the end of the age. Are you stuck a little bit in one of those four postures? Do you need to make an adjustment? Make sure that you have not loved the thing that God gives us more than the God who gives us the thing. And my hope today is that even inside of our own Christianity, we'd make an adjustment, maybe a tweak, maybe an adjustment. Just, God, I want to make sure that when I pray to you, I'm not praying to get something from you, that when I pray to you, I'm in communion with you. God, when I come to church, I'm not coming to church to give something for me. I'm, I'm, in, I'm going to church because you're at church and I get to see you. The gospel is not about getting people to heaven. The God, gospel is about getting people to God. That was the whole point of Jesus coming. He bridged a gap. Come on between us and God, and Jesus does this divine connection. Why? So that we were no longer far from him, that we can be in relationship with him. And my hope is that you would get a revelation of that today.